and start thinking about tax flow as the big, biggest strategy. Most of us just think about cash flow, and cash flow is super important, but I'm here to tell you that it's not about cash flow anymore. It's about tax flow. Let's get ready to scale. Hey guys, welcome back to yet another episode. Thank you for tuning in today. We definitely appreciate it. Today with me is Brett Swartz. Brett is the founder of Capital Gains Tax Solution, which has a focus on DSTs, which are Deferred Sales Trust, for those of you that are not familiar with it. He's also the host of Capital Gains Tax Solutions, in addition to being a commercial multifamily broker with EXP Commercial, uh, and he has actually over 400 million uh, as far as his uh, volume of transactions uh, just in his position there as a broker. He actually started off in sales at Marcus and Millichap. He's got a BS in business administration from William Jessup University. And I believe you are coming to us today through uh, from Sacramento. Is that correct? Oh, we have two headquarters. So we have uh, Taxifornia in Sacramento, and then we have St. <laughs> Augustine, Florida. So today I'm actually with the family in St. Augustine, Florida. Ah, well, no complaints there, I'm sure. It's been amazing. Yeah, it's been it's been about five weeks into the uh, into the change, and so we'll spend at least fifty one percent of the time here and forty nine percent back in back in California. Ooh, awesome. All right. Well, Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, to get us started and to kick this off, do you want to just share with our listeners a very broad overview of what a DST is and how they work? Yeah. So a deferred sales trust is a way to defer capital gains tax, not using a 1031 exchange. Uh, it provides some um, freedoms and some flexibilities that that traditional, you know, 1031 exchanges or traditional installment sales just don't provide. Um, and essentially, it's a trust, business trust that's partnered with a or coupled with a uh, installment sale that allows a seller of cryptocurrency, business, commercial real estate, primary homes, or even can save a failing 1031 exchange to um, to receive the capital at close. And to give you a promissory note to pay you back over time, which creates the ability to defer the tax and just pay tax slowly over time. And of course, also invest back into different investments such as stocks, bonds, mutual funds, hard money lending, ground up development. But our favorite, which would be like multifamily syndications, um, which is a great way to create and preserve more wealth. Awesome. All right. So essentially, just to kind of summarize that, it's uh, very similar to a 1031 exchange. Uh, it is indeed also kind of an installment sales trust, but what it does provide is that those tax benefits that everyone is always looking for uh, by deferring the uh, demand to have to pay your capital gains tax in full all at once. And instead, it allows investors to pay it bit by bit as they are withdrawing those funds uh, from the DST, correct? That's correct. Awesome. Okay. So now that we kind of got the broad overview, um, can you share with me what are some of the, the pros and the cons? You know, if we were talking to uh, some of the devil's advocates out there, what would they say are some of the negatives about it? And what are some of the, the unique benefits to it? Yeah. Here at Capital Gains Tax Solutions, we're really passionate about helping people create freedom and making an impact by unlocking capital uh, to be invested in families and communities. And and so part of what the Deferred Sales Trust does is it allows that freedom aspect, which is so important. You know, most sellers of highly appreciated assets, they're facing 25 to 
in capital gains tax and depreciation recapture. And if Biden's proposal um, goes through, they're looking at, at that increasing by another 20%. Um, so it would be somewhere around, you know, 45 to 70% in capital gains tax and depreciation recapture. And so people are looking for freedom right now. And those freedoms such are such as, you know, diversifying out of highly appreciated assets that have too much debt and not enough liquidity. They're looking for freedom to be able to diversify out of, you know, stock that doesn't have depreciation or, um, you know, maybe cash flow that's coming in or cryptocurrency before the crash, especially they want to get into some cash flowing producing assets that aren't tied to some of the things that are going on with the banks and even the cryptocurrency world that crashed here. So some of these freedoms that we're all facing uh, or challenges people are facing, they want some freedoms to be able to provide that. And the deferred sales trust unlocks the freedoms in a transformational way, which gives the owners of these assets to be entrepreneurial or to be passive, to be retired or to be an active GP. And once you understand how to unlock these freedoms in a capital gains tax efficient way, it becomes a, um, a wealth building machine. And so that's, that's really the biggest thing. It's understanding, you know, your vision of where you're trying to go and then building a team and, and having a, a strategy or a product to help you achieve what you're, where you're trying to go. So that's what the deferred sales trust we found to do like nothing else that uh, we've seen so far. Interesting. Okay. So that's definitely the benefits, uh, side of it. Now, what would uh, some people say are some of the challenges or negatives associated with them? I think the biggest thing would be you run out of time or your deal is not big enough. And I'll start, start with the time one. Like we're working on a deal right now. And a gentleman found us about you know three, four weeks before his close of his business. And um, he feels great about it. He's ready to go forward. But his partner, he's kind of getting, it's kind of last minute for him. And so he's looking at it and he's nervous. And so um, it's creating the tension between this is something that's brand new. It's millions of dollars. I've never seen it before. My CPA haven't heard about it. My financial advisor hasn't heard about it. And so part of the negative would be just, is it too good to be true? Is it legal? Was it, was it work? What happens if the IRS comes knocking? And, and we have all of the, uh, so, so in other words, we, we need to set it up before, before close of escrow. And it's not something you can wait on. And it's something that you have to do before basically the buyer removes all contingencies. And so, so the time can be squeezed, which means it's not flexible when it comes to that. The other downside would be perhaps someone would say, oh, it's really expensive. It's about one and a half to 2% on a recurring annual basis on the AUM that goes into the account and about 1.5 to set up. And so that expensive piece can be kind of a hindrance. But if you have a million dollar net proceeds, and a million dollar gain, that typically means you have about two fifty dollars to $500,000 of tax, depending on your, you know, your state you're in and what depreciation recapture you have. And so this is where we want to help people understand that to make this thing an investment on an expense is by unlocking these freedoms and making it a wealth growing machine the way that we, we structure it. So uh, I think the last one would be perhaps, you know, you need that, that a trusted person to say yes, right? And if that trusted person doesn't know about it, then it can be kind of a downside. There's a third party unrelated trustee. That's our role. So you, you do have to put trust into uh, another group. Um, but it's not unlike what you would do with a 1031 exchange accommodator when you put the trust in them to hold your funds for a period of time. So those are some of the, I guess, some of the challenges that would be faced with the Deferred Sales Trust. All right. Very good. Uh, and a very fair, I think, uh, explanation of both the, the pros and the cons. Um, now, what about when it comes to how people can actually implement this into their wealth building strategies? How do you advise people, you know, to take this great concept, but actually put it into action in a strategic fashion? 
It's a great question. So first it starts with your vision for what you're doing for your wealth. So I might talk to maybe the multifamily syndicator today who is exiting out of GP positions and they're looking at not doing 1031 exchanges for a number of reasons. And they're looking at a huge capital gains tax yet uh, they want to roll it into their next few deals. And so we've done a number of deals. Here's one of them with, uh, with a gentleman named David. He's a client of ours. And he did a $33 million exit out of Las Vegas. This is his, one of his, this is his fifth sale with us. They've done over 120 million. And for the longest time, they would not do 1031 exchanges for a number of reasons, but they would just all pay their tax. And so what they found themselves doing is giving up 25 to 50% on every exit. And so if you think about the ROI for them to build their wealth, they said, why don't I defer an extra 25 to 50%, which then I can put into my next deal. And then likewise, they pass it to one of their LPs and one of their LPs did the same thing uh, with their big position of about 3 million out of this exit. And so it start thinking about tax flow is the big, biggest strategy. Most of us just think about cash flow and cash flow is super important, but I'm here to tell you that it's not about cash flow anymore. It's about tax flow. Okay. Now, of course, it's always about cash flow. And of course, it's always been about some ta tax mitigation. But guess what? The government has a spending problem, which means you and me have a tax problem, right? They're over 32 trillion, I think now. And it's a massive amount of tax that um, needs to be either, you know, raised through economy and jobs, or they're going to raise taxes on, on the wealthier, right? And, and that's going to try to pay for this stuff. But all that being said, We've got to focus on have a tax flow mindset and look at what's actually happening on all of these exits. The other part would be someone who's selling a primary home. They feel real estate rich and they feel uh, cash flow poor. And they have all of their equity in this house. We sold an $8 million deal in Palo Alto. And this was his retirement plan. His six kids were gone. So for him, he felt trapped in his house because had he sold, paid off debt, paid tax, he'd left with nothing. But instead, he could sell, defer the tax, pay off his debt. And now he can put it into diversify portfolio and get cash flow coming in. So it access that freedom for him. It's location freedom, time freedom, retirement freedom. All of those things kind of put together, start to unlock transformation. So what are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go? What's the product or strategy to get you there? And what's the team to help you get you there? Those are all the reasons why you might choose a deferred sales trust, or it could be a 1031 exchange or some cost seg or a Delaware statutory trust. Our goal and part of what we do is try to lay out all the options and give you the pros and cons of each and let you decide. And sometimes, by the way, it's a mixture of both. If people have what's called a debt over basis challenge, we're using a partial Delaware 1031 to replace that debt over basis. And the rest of it can go into the deferred sales trust. Um, sometimes it's the partnerships that want to separate and we have each of them do their own deferred sales trust or some of them do a partial 1031. But having the team of professionals that have gone through this and have done this um, and really having a clear vision for what you're trying to do will help you to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve. Great, very insightful answer. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Now, along those same lines, when it comes to identifying uh, who you're going to actually uh, you know, trust to lead you through this process. And when you're trying to identify which professionals you want to work with, there's a lot of people out there you know, that can call themselves a professional. So how would you advise that you know, uh, investors can go about uh, doing their own due diligence in selecting you know, who they're going to potentially partner up with for a DST? Yeah, I'll focus on deferred sales trust for, for sure, right? Or there's, there's others out there that people look at um, that are maybe our competitors and such. The, there's seven questions, and I made a YouTube video on on this, you can look up basically seven questions to ask of every tax referral strategy and or professional. And here are some of the questions. Number one, how long has this strategy been around, right? Um, number two, how many of these have closed? Number three, of those that have closed, how many have been audited by the IRS? Number four, of those that were audited, how many did the tax attorneys who set this up 
defend those audits. Number five would be what was what was the results of those audits, right? Number six, what happens if I get audited? In other words, you want to make sure you're working with those that have been through the fire with the IRS and the there's audit protection in place. Um, there's And really, to me, um, it needs to have a track record of, of, um, of just clear track record of performance. And so the neat part about the Deferred Sales Trust, it goes back 27 years, thousands and thousands of closes, over 24 um, no-change IRS audits, literally perfect, flawless track record, never once lost, tens of thousands of tax returns, billions and billions of properties that have been sold and assets been sold over the years. And so it has a perfect track record. So it's just as important to not only have the idea, but have the protection and have the uh, def audit defense, which is provided with every deferred sales trust as well, um, behind just in case the audit does come. So, um, and then as far as the people themselves, they've got to have a high, high passion for what they're doing. They got to have a heart of service and leadership and growth, right? They had to have abundance mindset to help serve you at a high level and make sure that your vi values are aligned and there's, there's, there's value beyond just the strategy. It's the implementation and the execution of that business plan, right? Anyone can buy a multifamily property and raise capital, but who's going to be doing, you know, on your guys' world, right? Who's going to be doing the day-to-day -day management, the day-to-day -day execution of negotiating with banks, you know, setting interest rates and, you know, caps so that you don't get hit with an adjustable rate. And now you're, you're scrambling for, for cash flow, um, you know, negotiating with rents and rent control and COVID. It's the ability for the team to execute during changing times that is so, so important. And so you want to make sure you have, the, I guess, those two major things in place. Wow. Uh, great answer. Uh, and I'm curious, you made me kind of uh, think about it while you were uh, speaking. How often or how common is it for uh, the IRS to audit, um, you know, those that utilize the DST? Yeah, it's actually a very low audit rate risk because it's a trust and the trusts are one of the lowest, lowest rate risk. Now, in fact, 12 of the audits over the DST over the years were, were no trigger audits. I mean, it wasn't triggered by the DST. They just happened to get triggered because it was a large transaction. Obviously, the larger the deal, the more eyes are on it. There was one in Southern California for over $100 million that was audited. And that was a no change, no finding uh, deal as well. You know, closed out, no problems at all. And uh, so, so the larger the deal, sometimes they can be triggered. There's also been some formal audits and some promoter audits where they looked at everything. One of the big, best stories that I like to share um, is with one of our strategic alliances. His name is David Young. And for those who are in the multifamily world uh, like me, you may not know who that is, but he worked with a guy named Bill Gross. Now, Bill and David kind of built PIMCO with five other guys. PIMCO is a big money manager, very successful, worldwide known. So these are some these are economists, financial uh, like advisors, really smart money managers. Anyways, they all built PIMCO 20 years ago uh, from, uh, from $80 billion to $1.2 trillion. They get a big payday. They all retire. And then about 10 years ago, David and five of the, five of the guys uh, build a company called Anfield Capital. And five years ago, they get approached with the Deferred Sales Trust. And so for anyone listening to this, I think this is a good story to give you some confidence in that David and his team did a two-year due diligence. And after two years, they came through with two conclusions. Number one, um, the person who created this, who was the tax attorney, one of my, one of my business partners, with the smartest person they've ever met. And number two, they'll put their name on it. They'll become financial advisors for DST clients. And they're a part of the inner circle to, 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 be a, to, to, to help people who want to invest into securities and different investments. So when you, when you hear those kind of stories with those type of world-class um, professionals who have put their name on it after extensive due diligence, um, the question is, is, if it's good enough for, for someone like David Young and his legal team after two years, is it good enough for us? And oftentimes, if we have time to spend with people before they close, you know, they say yes, and they go, and we move, and uh, away we go. 
All right. I couldn't agree more. Um, it reminds me of, you know, the, the very common <laughs> saying that uh, you should always look at who you spend most of your time with because you're more likely to become like those people. So I agree. Uh, we watch what smart people do and try to do what smart people do, right? Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to pivot just ever so slightly because you do have, uh, you know, an interesting uh, background and career path and actually talk a little bit about what you're seeing currently on the market as a broker as well. I know that's going to be of interest, um, you know, to our listeners. So we have definitely seen deal flow pick up uh, here at Blue Lake. I can definitely say that. Uh, what about you? What are you seeing on the market and what are your thoughts right now? Yeah, so I'm a multifamily broker with EXP Commercial, and I actually started out at Marcus and Milljap in 2006. I grew up in the real estate industry buying and, and uh, or helping my parents build houses and cash flow producing properties in the Silicon Valley. So I have an extensive background with that, and that's actually how I found out about the Deferred Sales Trust. So what we're seeing as a broker right now, there was a, definitely a change, obviously, in the last year where interest rates were below typically your cap rate, and then it's influxed, right? It flipped over the last six, seven months, and there was a disconnect between sellers' expectations and buyers even being able to cash flow with new interest rates, even banks being willing to loan. And that really stalled everything out for about four or five months for the most part. We had some of the lowest transactional volume in Q4 of 2022, but then things have started to pick up and we're seeing more deals happening. I think it's partly because sellers are finally realizing that, hey, indeed, if I have adjustable rate mortgages, especially in multifamily properties, I need to be willing to sell and or they might have assumable loans, right? We're working with sellers right now where we're saying, look, if your deal has an assumable rate financing that's fixed for a couple of years, this is a good opportunity for a buyer to come in and you can get a you know, decent price, a better price than you would have if they have to get new financing. With, so let's say, you know, five or 6% interest rate, they can get in at, you know, three and a half, four percent with you. So actually it's a good reason to sell now and let them take advantage of your fixed financing for a little bit longer. That being said, we do have this new thing going on with the banks, which I think will actually encourage more people to put money into real estate, multifamily in particular, or mobile home parks or senior housing assisted living. This creates opportunity to be very cautious of money sitting in the bank, right? Versus in a hard asset that's cash flowing that renters are paying. So I do also think that'll encourage more buyers to come and to start to buy. But the biggest thing we're looking at is for those that have overpaid. And that's part of the problem. People had overpaid for, for, for really, for I feel like for a couple of years, at least, at least in tax California, people were overpaying just crazy prices. And now things, the rents are, are starting to, stay, you know, say not go high as high as fast. So the question becomes, what do they borrow at? And if their debt is going to adjust, if they didn't buy the rate caps or the rate caps are expiring, they're looking at a really tough position where they could be, um, you know, you know, taking in, a lot of water in the boat. I mean, in other words, not cash flowing. And they're going to be in a position where they're going to need to sell, which leads to the next question. Well, will there be discounts? I don't really think so from what I could gather. I was at the Best of a Real Estate Conference last week um, with Joe Fairless and Don Winter, DLP and Ashcroft Capital. And we're going through it. We do think there'll be opportunities to buy, not as competitive for those who don't have the capital or the wherewithal or the operations or the expertise. Um, but we don't necessarily think it's going to be like a 2008 situation, especially for multifamily. Um, but we'll wait and see this whole banking thing with SVB last week is really interesting to see how this starts to unravel potentially the, the marketplace and everything that's going on. I agree with you, um, in, in, on several points there. Um, and I'll touch on, especially, uh, you know, what we see going on with SVB and signature bank, um, you know, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, this is where the benefits of actually investing in real hard assets, uh, you know, shines like a beacon, you know, in the night. 
so definitely agree with you uh, on that. Um, and, you know, with deal flow and the expectation between buyers and sellers, uh, it is very interesting what we are seeing. Um, we absolutely feel like there's a tremendous amount of opportunity coming out on the market. Um, we have an entire strategy built around it that I'm real excited about, but, you know, I'm going to keep a little hush-hush, of course. Um, and coincidentally, I was also at the conference uh, last week, so uh, we probably passed each other at some point and didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> Small world. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, Brett, this has been um, just a great conversation and I think very helpful for people that are always wanting to know the different options that they've got, uh, you know, to grow their wealth, to address their taxes in what is, you know, continuing to be an ever fluid situation uh, with the economy, you know, uh, with the feds and now even with our banking institutions. Um, so it's just a very interesting time and we'll have to all, you know, uh, continue to work through it. So on that note, we always close out uh, each of our shows by going through what we call the lightning round questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Great. So in the midst of everything else that you do, uh, what do you actually do for fun? What's a hobby? Yeah. My number one one is playing basketball. If I could play basketball for the rest of my life, every day, my knees wouldn't fall apart. I would. I grew up playing. I played in college and scholarship and I absolutely love, love playing basketball and it's uh, it's definitely my number one. I would say I, I call it more than a hobby. It's a, it's a passion. Like I love it. I love it. I love it. Nice, very nice. I used to uh, be a gymnast for many years, but I assure you that I am too old to do that stuff nowadays. And it is a bummer. It's a bummer. <laughs> um, all right. What about as far as uh, something interesting about you that most people don't actually know? Uh, my wife and I have five kids. I mean, if you were listening to a podcast, you wouldn't know that. And um, almost 40 now. And they look at me and they go, what? You're, you know, you have five kids. I'm like, yeah, you know, we, you know, married 13 years. Our oldest is 12. I'd say that's probably the, um, that's the most interesting thing I think for me. You know, I didn't think I'd had five kids. Uh, I think, I thought we wanted two, but we ended up having five. So that's kind of interesting. Um, other than that, it's, it's just uh, like, like helping people, like working with teams and, like, like, uh, very passionate about what we do. So I think the five kids will be probably the most interesting thing. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a very good reason to also be focused on wealth strategy, right? That's a lot of kids. I have four, so I feel I can totally relate. Um, all right. What about as far as a book, what are you currently reading or what do you highly recommend investors need to read? Yeah. Chris Foss never split the difference, but more than just read the book or listen to an audio book, you need to buy the masterclass. Okay. The masterclass is it's an app and, and that, that masterclass will, I think will teach you more about communication and negotiation, uh, than anything I've ever seen. And, and I've literally probably listened to it 25 times. It's that good and that rich. So Chris Foss never split the difference, but go really get his masterclass on negotiation. Um, that is the one that is amazing and incredible. Fantastic. All right. Um, now, this one's always a little bit challenging for people, and you can pause for a second if you need to. But what would you say is your advice for people that are really focused on trying to build an extraordinary life? Yeah, I think you want to focus on working harder on yourself than you do on your job. Right. It's a quote by Jim Rohn, which I try to live by every single day, which, you know, most of us are, you know, taught or brought up and, you know, you get grades, you get the scholarship, you get the job, you close the deal, all these external things that are really cool and fun for a period of time. But we're so focused on those external things that we're not working on the internal things, which is which is the next part of the, the kind of the, the, the quote, if you work harder on yourself, your leadership, your personal development, your health, fitness, family, faith, um, you'll, you'll make a fortune. 
And the idea is, yes, to make a lot of money so that you can help a lot of people, but more so to become everything you're created to be. I believe we've all been given these gifts in this life to be, and to maximize those gifts is, our, is our, our responsibility and to make a difference in people's lives. And if you're doing that, it actually leads to success and, and, and fulfillment more than anything else. So you can be the, you know, the husband or the wife or the father or the mother or the son or the daughter for, for uh, your community, your family and everything you've been given. So work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And that's constant, right? Because we, as entrepreneurs, we fall in love with what we're doing and we've got to focus on, Hey, I got to build my character. I got to build my faith. I got to build my family. I got to build the things that are so important. Those other things will come. Right. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a constant reminder every single day to practice those kind of habits that are building your character. Outstanding advice. I uh, very much appreciate that. All right. And now last but not least, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Yeah, you can go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. You can check out the new book called Building a Capital Gains Tax Exit Plan. We've got some cool people like um, uh, Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, some other multifamily syndicators and operators, financial advisors. And really, it's all about um, helping you, the listener, and or if you're a professional, um, build and unlock your ideal wealth plan when selling assets of any kind. Um, and that's really the key. How do you create freedom when you're exiting? Because remember, it's not just about cash flow. It's about tax flow. So check out building a capital gains exit, a tax exit plan right now. Excellent. All right. So your last final words of wisdom there. Let's not forget about tax flow. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brett, for joining us on the show today. And for those of you listening in, thank you for tuning in yet again. We uh, would love to hear from you. Don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. And I'll catch you again next week. In the meantime, make sure that you continue to be bold, to move forward, and to go build an extraordinary life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.